0: I'm telling everyone, be yourself, be born this way. And here I am making a living being somebody else. Um, But I look at it as I'm an actor, right. And I'm just playing this one role for a very long time. Um, But if, if you're not embodying that artist's like life messages and stuff, then, then, then it's, then it's empty, right? Like it's, it's just, it really is just acting, but I think that it's, people can sense the authenticity that uh, I connect with her on that personal level to share her message.
1: Hello. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that there's a couple of audio and video hiccups that happened towards the end of the episode. Thank you for being patient. It resolves pretty quickly. Also, as always, please like subscribe and all the other things that the algorithm likes. I greatly appreciate it. And with that, let's talk to tyranny. Enjoy. Welcome to the way to know you podcast season two, episode 34. My name is Nick rounds and I will be your host. My next guest is a tribute artist that performs at the Legends and Concert Show at the Tropicana in Las Vegas, Nevada as Lady Gaga. Thanks to a chance encounter with Kate Beckinsale, my guest has been paying tribute to Gaga professionally for the past 13 years. When she's not busy kissing Elvis, she's taking her daughter to school in her sweet, iridescent Tesla. Put your paws up, little monsters. It's time to talk to Tierney Allen. Wait, I know you. How are you today?
0: <laughs> good. How are you? I love that. Pause that. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. I had to get in. I had to get in, in a little bit, have some yeah. additional to Lady gaga. So
0: very um, cool.
1: Thank you how so you much. How are
0: you
1: doing? I'm good. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you because you have lived a uh, storybook unconventional life. Um the fact that you're I mean you're married to an Ellis imperson- impersonator, which is already hilarious and amazing um but uh the fact that like i think the thing that really strikes me the most is that like when you hear about like a tribute artist or like you hear somebody in a vegas show it seems like so far off and like not relatable but through your story of knowing you like you've become a vegas show girl uh but before we get started there i actually kind of want to start with what led you to that um which is your song and dance background um so talk to me uh before we talk about all things gaga Sure. Um, what are some of the early song and dance experiences that you had as a kid that kind of set you up for success to do, do this full time?
0: You know, what's funny is I didn't start out as a musician, as a singer. Um, my entire musical journey began as a violinist. Now, I was in like second grade and I just got hooked with the idea. I have to play violin. And at my elementary school, they wouldn't let you join the orchestra until you were um, like in third grade. And like everyone knows me now, like if I get my mindset to something, I'm doing it. So apparently I walked my butt into the principal's office every day for two weeks demanding to play violin. And my mom got a call <laughs> from the school and they're like, do you know, your daughter's been he- in here every day demanding to play violin. And we're going to have to let her now because she really means it. And that's what started it. Um I played violin just like religiously through elementary school, middle school. I was a concert master at the San Jose Youth Symphony. And it wasn't until middle school that singing fell into my lap. Kind of (laughs) crazy. That's
1: awesome. Was there anything, I mean, why was it violin? Was there anything that like really kind of inspired you um, to chase after that initially?
0: My mom was really into Elton John, and I know that there was, like, I remember seeing a concert of him on TV, and there was, like, a full orchestra around him. And I was like, wow, look at them. That looks so cool. And then there was, at the time, the Disney Young Musician Symphony Orchestra, and that was on TV. And I'm like, I just, something about that instrument just, like, consumed me. So I just... Again, I had to play it like, look, I got a violin on, tattooed on my arm and it's, it, it was my life. And uh, I actually teach. Uh, I have a student now, too. So that's it, it kind of has never left me.
1: That's awesome. And then as far as like some of your other early like musical or dance related um, things that kind of led up to where you are today, like what are some of those early things that you started with that uh, really still playing into what you do now?
0: Sure. I mean, alongside with playing violin, of course, I was in all the dance lessons. I went to performing arts middle school called Castellaro Middle School, and I was in a show choir and we kind of like competed like nationally against high school. So that kind of set me up for whether I was going to make it as a big pop star singing and dancing on, you know, as a famous one or pretending to be one. Like and that's why when I <laughs> fell into doing Lady Gaga, it was it it was just not easy, but it just, it just melted together into my life so well, because I already had the skills to be able to sing live and dance at the same time.
1: You've done it so many times that it wasn't really scary anymore. And No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. Um, so thinking about all those things that, uh, that you had to learn as a kid, like all the mechanics, all the routines, all the stretching mm-hmm. Is there anything that you did then that still applies what you do today that are that you still think is super important?
0: You know, you would think that there'd be a physicality element that I brought with me, um, but uh, but not so much, honestly. What I brought through from my childhood uh, experience through now would be visualization, and uh, my mom taught me that when I was a young Scottish Highland dancer the nights before a competition, I would go sleep in her bed and she'd say, close your eyes. And I want you to picture yourself on stage dancing every single move perfectly. And that's going to help you tomorrow. And it always did. I mean, I did, I did pretty well. I mean, as I got older, I wasn't like a champion, but I took that through um, as a professional in Vegas, because I'm literally visualizing Lady Gaga while I'm on stage. I'm imagining her in real time what does she look like while she's walking? What does she how does she hold her mouth? How does she put her hand up? You know, little things like that, that um, I think I grew over the years to be able to do it, not just laying in bed with my eyes closed. I can do it right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, digging into that further, that's actually really, really, really fascinating. Um so I guess uh, maybe just to skip ahead just a little bit, um, but as far as like making a routine um, focus around a Lady Gaga song, like because you have dancers sometimes with you as well, like from a chore- art choreography standpoint, from a look standpoint, like how do you articulate that to other people beyond just yourself? Because that sounds like it's super difficult to like sell that vision that's in your head.
0: Um. Well. I have been spoiled quite a bit at legends where they take care of the choreography and the dancers and these dancers here in Vegas are used to being at that caliber of, of technique that they know, Oh, we're doing Gaga today. It's gotta be this certain way. So I don't really have to give much direction, but if I were to take on new dancers, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be doing some touring next year. I will have to, you know, it has to be, stoic it has to be solid and and really refer them back to richie jackson's style of choreography which is just uh it's hard to explain you just have to see it you know and and if you don't have it then you're not one of richie jackson's dancers
1: (laughs) i was just gonna say is is there any way that you could articulate what what makes a ricky richie jackson dancer different than other people It's
0: like he has a lot of just very like isolated moves. Very very strong, very straight faced, um, statuesque. Um, I mean, when when I saw the Chromatica ball this last year, it, they've always been solid, but there's something like otherworldly about the way her dancers convey themselves on stage. You know, and if I can audition and bring that style onto my stage, oh, that would be so cool. <laughs>
1: Um, I guess, uh, since we were talking about it already, like, um, is there anything else as far as like the elements of Gaga, like that, that you just mentioned, um, that really, unless you're a hardcore fan, you wouldn't really know or notice, like, what are some of the elements of Gaga that, you know, like the back of your hand that you've incorporated in your show like that, like the dance style? Are there any, any other things like that that are like relevant to,
0: Oh, uh, for sure. there, there's two main things that I always have to hit when it comes to, to doing her shows and the average person wouldn't know and they might be even annoyed by it but one thing is you got to scream at the audience and, and a lot of times it's put your fucking hands up you know and I mean you can make a drinking game watching Gaga do a show how many times she says put your hands up or get up and dance you know so you're yelling at the audience I have to do that. Um, and then the other thing is at some point in my set or my show, I always try and convey a message of kindness and love and acceptance for everyone and equality. She always hits that and, um, bringing the audience into my space and reminding them that Gaga is not just this weird, you know, avant-garde artist, but that she has a heart and a soul and cares about humanity.
1: I think one of my favorite clips of her ever is where she's like mid dance, um, and she's like dancing along to Poker Face, and she's like, "It's Poker Face, get up! Why are you sitting?" Just oh yeah, <laughs> re- yelling at the audience. The <laughs> yeah, time. that was
0: like the Monster Ball. You see her, and she's like, "I'm oh, I think it might have been Telephone. Like, I'm singing Telephone. Get your fucking ass up and dance!" Like, and you see the stadium, people sit in the seats. No, if you go to a Gaga concert, you're standing the whole time, no matter where you got your seats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even the cheap seats. If she yeah. sees you sitting, you're in trouble.
0: Yep, you're get your ass up.
1: That's hilarious. I apologize if there's a uh, construction noise in the back, just the joys of living in Seattle. Oh. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but uh, So walking back a little bit, you mentioned something that I think is really interesting that a lot of people might actually know about, which is Scottish Highland dancing, <laughs> which is different than folk dancing, which I just learned seconds ago be- before we started uh, the interview. Yes. Um, can you talk to me about what is Scottish Highland dancing? Why is it different than folk dancing? And like, what are some of the types of thi- things you had to learn to excel at that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Scottish Highland dancing and the folk dancing or the country dancing um, Highland dancing, it was brought up uh, by the Scottish military in the, in the Highlands as a form of calisthenics um, that they would, you know, for agility training and strength training, because it's all jumping, jumping on the balls of your feet. Every dance that you do um, tells a story because they were very superstitious and traditional. So things like the sword dance, you know, they would, Everyone be drinking and partying the night before a big battle, and they'd pull out the swords, you dance over the swords, you kick the sword, then it's a bad omen for the days, you know, battle ahead. So um, that's where that's at. And only men could do it back then. It, women, forget women. Um, it wasn't until much later that in uh the boying, the boying era that the women could start doing dancing, Scottish highland dancing. And it was still nowhere near the um physical athleticism of the highland dances like the fling sword chantreuse um but when you compare it to something like uh the folk or the country dancing that is more of like a social dance that you would do like at a Kaylee um if you like there's like i think they're called strip the willows and stuff like that and you you could go to a scottish pub like in scotland and even today and the 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 celtic band will say all right everybody up for strip the willow and and just everyone knows it i think they even learn it as pe in, in scotland so <laughs> <laughs> maybe they learn some highland dancing um but it just i guess the biggest difference is what it was used for social versus athleticism and highland dancing nowadays it's hardcore like if you compared back then it was just like kind of you know, jumping. Now it's like, you have to do plyometrics. You have to weight train. You have, I mean, you're on it. You're late. Your thighs are like rock hard. And um, yeah, so it's, it's just different. Um, I fell into it because my mom was studying our family genealogy and discovered way back somewhere, we have some Scottish heritage and we went to a Scottish Highland games. And I'm like, I want to do that. I can do that. And she's like, I don't think you can do that. So it kind of started as um, like a bet with my mom or so, because I was only a ballet dancer at the time. And I jumped right in and I started competing and started doing really well straight away from the beginning. And it just became such a a great part of my life. Very social, um, great way of exercise. And it just stuck with me. And I became a teacher later on when I turned about 21. I, I taught in San Jose, one of the biggest schools in California.
1: That's awesome, yeah. Um, yeah. That's another thing too, is that you're natively from the Bay Area. Shout out. Yep, <laughs> I
0: hate
1: San Jose. Even though you're a Vegas resident, always got to bring in people from the Bay Area onto the show.
0: <laughs> For sure. <laughs>
1: um, is there anything else that, like, uh, well, you mentioned that it, that usually occurs at the Highland Games. Um, is there any other place, any other venues where you typically would see that type of performance or competition? Um, and is there any other things? Um, that made you really appreciate that dance, especially for doing it so long, especially now from not really having done it for quite a while, like professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you appreciate from that time?
0: I think um, now that I have a daughter, uh, I, I'm bringing it back into my life as something for her to do because it's so good for um, just coordination and agility, strength, Um And just something, being, being a white American girl, we don't have very much culture. So it gives me an excuse to have a little bit of culture. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, funny on that, if I, if I mentioned when I went to go visit Scotland and I went out partying at a bar and I hung out with this Celtic rock band, they could not believe an American was doing Scottish dancing. they're like, why would you do that? You're American. I'm like, because it's my heritage. So like, you're not Scottish. Like, Maybe you know, a hundred years you were. You know, it, it was just funny that the Scottish people couldn't understand why I would do that, and it's because as a white American woman, I have nothing to grab onto. <laughs> um, I feel like a piece of like white bread toast, you know. <laughs> um, so, so having my daughter just gives me an excuse to bring just a little bit of some kind of culture, an excuse to teach her about other places in the world, and this is how they dance, and um, yeah. So it's come back like that, and she's. She's oddly good at it, too. Uh, yeah, so it's been fun to watch her grow.
1: The apple is not fall far, fall far from the tree. I mean, yeah. her her dad is a singer and dancer as well, which is awesome. Uh-huh. actually, uh, yeah, it just again, hilarious that you're married to a Elvis personator, but I
0: rest. know I, I mean, it could have been more perfect the way I mean, when I met him, I had just like sworn off men for life. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I don't know where he is. I'm done. And then literally the next week I was visiting Las Vegas, uh, visiting my mom and we were at a karaoke bar and the most gorgeous man in the world walked into the bar. He looked like Elvis. And I said, that's the guy. And I, that was it. I went and hit on him and you know, the rest is history. But you know, for, for the viewers or listeners out there, my husband's not like, you know some gross fat elvis like he's he's hot he's hot elvis And so he he has one of the only all elvis shows on the loss in las vegas and it's called all shook up tribute to the king and they're sold out like every dang night it's so cool <laughs>
1: the, the thirst is real no he's a real good looking dude uh can yes. can attest to yes <laughs> it <was> excellent catch
0: <laughs> thanks
1: um, but going back to you and going Thank back you. to your, to your career of all things, Gaga. So mm-hmm. I mentioned Kate Beckinsale in your, in your intro. Um, can yeah. you talk about that chance interaction and how it led to becoming, uh, how it led to you becoming Lady Gaga professionally? Mm-hmm.
0: The strangest, I mean, it really, even all these years later talking about it, it, it is a strange chance encounter. I, I was working at Santa Monica, in Santa Monica at Fred Siegel selling designer sunglasses And she was one of our regular customers. She would come in, pick out 20 glasses. Her assistant would pay, you know, and then she disappeared. But this one time she was in and she decided she was paying for herself, you know, not her assistant. And she said, you know, you look like that Lady Gaga. And I didn't, you know, Lady Gaga was brand new. I had no idea who she was. And I said, wait, what, who? And she said, you know, she sings that song, uh, Just Dance. And i I thought that was an Ashley Simpson song (laughs) (laughs) that tells you how long ago this was. Um, So she's like, no, really, you can make a job out of doing that. You should look into it. And that was kind of it. Like she didn't like jump all, you know, she just like, you should make a job. And she just left. And um, when somebody of that caliber, you know, celebrity tells you that you're like, so I jump online and I'm like, Oh my God, impersonation is a, this is a thing. And that's just what started it all. And I, I dressed up as her for Halloween. The gays and in uh, West Hollywood loved me, so that was kind of like my stamp of approval. If the gays love you, then you're good. And then it just kind of snowballed from there.
1: Shout out to West Hollywood. Always, Ooh. always coming with the culture. Yes. Um, so how did how did so building more upon that? Can you talk about like the the snowball that was you going from? that chance encounter from Kate Beckinsale to dressing up on Halloween to actually taking it super seriously uh like sure. what was that what was that journey for you cuz eventually obviously you're at legends of concert now at the Tropicana in between those times like kind of what led you towards that
0: yeah i mean i it, it's hard to not make it sound long-winded because it it was very a ping-pong journey of how i i got to the professional level and but so so she tells me I look like her. I research her. I dress up as her for really badly, by the way, for Halloween. I mean, I look back and I'm like, I, I have to burn these pictures. They're just <laughs> terrible. Um, but I knew in, in that, in that time frame, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like LA did not want me. I did so many auditions as a singer, model actor. Like I just didn't have the look or something, but, performing as Lady Gaga was like everything I ever wanted to do or be. So maybe this could be a job. So in the back of my mind, I knew that that's where I had to go, but it was right as the big recession in 2009 was happening. So LA, there was no work anywhere. I I was like destitute and my parents are like, time to move back to Santa Cruz. You know, you fa- not, I failed in LA, but It's not working out. So I moved back to Santa Cruz to live with my family and figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life. Still with the mind frame, I'm a Lady Gaga impersonator. Like, yeah, I may work at Jamba Juice or I'm going to go be a flight attendant for Delta, but I want to be an impersonator. So I had to move on with my life just to survive that recession. But in the back of my mind, still like taking pictures of me as Lady Gaga for Daily Booth. Remember Daily Booth? yeah oh, or yeah. model mayhem <laughs> <laughs> so nice. it wasn't until um i was i was flying i was a flight attendant for like 9 months and still trying to just i was just a very hobbyist lady gaga impersonator and i met my husband and we fell in love and he said you know i i need a lady gaga for an upcoming show Maybe you could. Maybe you. That could be you. And I, I felt like it was my moment. Like, oh my god, he, I've been discovered, and he's very hot. And so, <laughs> by by being with my husband and watching him in his and what he did professionally as a really great elvis it inspired me of like what how to take this to the professional level and he also helped me i mean he was helping me make costumes helping me introduce me to agents and take me around town and get me my first audition with legends and concerts so really my meeting my husband was the catalyst to my impersonation going fully professional
1: Can you talk about like some of the things that you touched that he taught you early on that are super helpful or like, what are the things that like as a tribute artist, you know, like the back of your hand that other people just wouldn't appreciate or understand unless they did themselves?
0: I think something that he, well, and there's many, there's many different ways to approach impersonation, right? But the way that I've watched him and I've adopted is a very replicated purest form of of uh, impersonation and we used to use the word tribute artist um but now we we took on impersonator because we really are trying to replicate what they do exactly and uh, i'm not trying to put my own little spin on it so he taught me that he said if you're going to wear lady gaga's yellow wig from the monster ball you need to wear only those costumes with that yellow wig you can't just throw on a blue wig and a black leather costume and put some glasses on it and call it Lady Gaga. No, you need to make sure that everything is chronologically correct for that illusion to sell to the audience. And it's, it's so true. I've over the past 13 years by being the most exact as possible, that's why things like my getting mobbed on the Las Vegas strip, everyone thinking I was really her. It's because it all lent to the illusion, the perfection that I put into it sells it to people.
1: Do you want to dig into that about uh, all the wacky times that people have thought that you were Lady Gaga like around Vegas? Oh, for like, sure. Yeah.
0: Well, so so early on, you know, I think a lot of a lot of really good impersonators do this in the beginnings of their careers, just to kind of test the waters. And so what I would do is I would dress up as Lady Gaga and go down to the strip and not like Fremont street. Like, like if I knew she was in town, I went to the MGM grand and I would just go have drinks. And because people knew she was in town, people start asking me questions. And all of a sudden, like one person turns into five 2050 people. So that one time people were literally standing on top of slot machines trying to get to me and take pictures of me. And I was, I was terrified. I didn't, I'm like, I'm not her. I'm not her. They're like, yeah, right. That's what she would say. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Like people, and that's the thing. It's I may not actually look exactly like her, right? But people see what they want to see in that moment. And especially when all the lights and cameras are telling people that it's her. So I ended up having to get a full security escort out of, uh, out of MGM grand underground. And they thought, what, what suite are you in lady Gaga? And I'm like, no, I'm not her. Please take me out. And they're like, Oh shit. Okay. And they took me underground, got me back to the parking structure. And I went back to my little Honda civic and, that was <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, I got to see what, what fame could really feel like how overwhelming it is. Um, I got to feel a little bit of the love from the fans. People were crying saying that I changed their life and I saved them. And I'm like, wow. So, you know, understanding where Gaga's coming from, that's a lot to experience. No wonder fame can just take a toll on people. And I'm, I feel very lucky that I can live in that moment, but I can take it all off and go back to being just a mom, you know?
1: I was just going to say you getting that for like a very short amount of time and the intensity of it just sounds Mm -hmm. crazy. Like, Yeah. Uh, And then being able to appreciate like I'm still a normal person that can just just Mm be another another mom, another person that works has a job and is not going to get my people. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and one other time that this happened, I mean, I stopped. So I stopped doing that. Right. So I uh, because I, I realized, oh, this actually could be potentially dangerous. So I thought that that was funny. Then it happened and I stopped doing that. And actually now. Because of this next incident that happened, um, I had to change all my contracts for my clients. So what happened? This this one like women's uh, convention speaking event, they hired me to get to give out an award. But the audience was told I was the real Lady Gaga. I thought I was hired as an impersonator. So everyone that I was meeting backstage, they were treating me so weird, and I didn't know what was going on. Until I get on stage, people rush the stage and I'm like, what the fuck? So, and then it ends up, everyone thinks I'm her. It makes world news because, um, because the people were so, I can't, it's a long story. People were told that I was her. Then they find out that I was not her and they were absolutely outraged. The client, um, I don't know if she did it maliciously, but she thought it would be funny, I think. And then it's not funny because, so now anyways, made world news. It was on Access Hollywood. It was on Billboard. It was, I mean, the big, the big mix up, you know, and uh, my first worry is what are Gaga's people going to think? Are are they going to get mad right. at me? Did I say that I was her? No, I did not. You know, it was, it was all to the client. So now going forward, all my contracts say that, and they have to initial it, that you will not mislead your guests or clients that I am the real Lady Gaga. um, And they have to initial that. So if it happened, because people have been put in jail for this. I have a friend that was locked up in Suriname for four months because the the promoters told everyone that she was Toni Braxton and she wasn't. So um, yeah, it's a very, it could be very dangerous. And so now to protect myself, I had to change that
1: it's smart. I mean, yeah, and I guess that's another thing that people don't really understand or appreciate especially as an impersonator like where where is the line drawn and like why is it important to have those boundaries. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I mean, not saying that I look so much like her that it's you know, it, real fans know, okay? Like if you're a hardcore Gaga fan, they'll they'll say that's not her and they'll walk away, but the average person they don't know. Um, so yeah, and I'm also trying to protect Gaga's image and that's why I am such a stickler on the looks. Like I do not want to make her a spectacle. I do not want to sell bullshit camp. Um, I, I, she is an incredible artist, the greatest artist of our generation. And so I feel like it's my duty to continue um, selling her name that way as well.
1: Yeah. I was going to say your, your success is tied to her success to Mm -hmm. her introducing new looks and stuff like that as well. Um, on your in your current trajectory, at least. And so, yeah, not not pooping where you eat, to, to use a <laughs> craft expression. Uh, yeah. You want to make sure that she's protected as much as you're protecting your own your own um, show and everything. So, yeah, Absolutely. that makes sense. Awesome. Um, so you kind of, you've touched on this a little bit, um, talking about the costumes and everything else. So one of the things that I really appreciate or that I think a lot of people should appreciate more is the amount of talent, and patience and time that you put into costumes and as you mentioned the level of detail that kind of sets you apart Mm -hmm. can you talk about like some of the uh trials and tribulations that you've had with your costumes like how do you put them together how do you fix them on the fly like talk to me all about that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff
0: so i have made i'll say like 98 percent of my costumes um myself because my mom taught me growing up how to sew and so that's made it very easy for me to replicate stuff and um But ever since I've had a daughter, it's been really difficult to find the time to um, to sew to the level that I would like my costumes to be. And that's why um, my newest costumes, um, like my Super Bowl costume, um, I had to have somebody else make it because it and. I made one and it just it wasn't it, you know. And so my my friend she took 2 years painstakingly hand sewing every single sequin and bead. It is there is no Super Bowl bodysuit as good as mine out there. I will say that and I've said I've said it before I'll say it again. It is <laughs> fucking incredible. Um and because I had to enlist somebody, she worked for Legends in Concert as a wardrobe uh, seamstress. So she understands the level of precise detail it requires. Um, but outside of that, I make it myself. And sometimes I'll cut some corners, um, but not on the overall look. Everything has to be exact. Like I will literally take a picture of like say her um, dive bar tour, million reasons jacket. And I put it on my iPad, I trace Um, The exact applique design, I have my Cricut uh, machine cut out the thing and I'll hand sew it. Um, But sometimes I'll cut corners, like I'll buy like a black bolero jacket and and crystal that instead of trying to make reinvent the wheel. You know, what I mean, and I think that's where a lot of um, tribute artists will will get like that. We have to find ways to make things turn around really quickly. Um, Yeah, so. And by recent years, I've had to kind of um, relinquish control a little bit and say, you know what, maybe it's not that important that I make everything and I can try and let other people do it as long as I trust that person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, have you had any gnarly uh, wardrobe malfunctions in terms of just like, of course, this breaks seconds to me going on stage, like, and then any, any panic fixes that you had to deal with?
0: Um maybe maybe not so many not so much like a wardrobe malfunction because my stuff is solid um (laughs) (laughs) but more like um because i have a at legends i have a dresser i have a woman that is backstage with me and we have a very precise choreographed um dance of how we do my costume changes and if one of us is not on if we're not paying attention and we miss I miss one arm sleeve or something I'm not going out on time and so that has happened or I'll preset before the show um, artists will take their costumes and put them in their dressing area I've mixed up my boots backwards and I accidentally like early on my run I put my right shoe on my left foot and there's no time You're not fixing it. So I went out on that stage with my, my boots on the wrong feet, praying that no one looked at my feet, that they were like going backwards. Like, (laughs) so little things like that, or like, I'll, I'll accidentally grab the wrong bra. And so I'll actually be like braless on stage underneath a jacket, just praying that nothing opens up. So little things like that, but nothing, nothing crazy, like a wig falling off or yeah, I'm very
1: knock on wood <laughs> right, right, right of course of course yeah it's just i mean <clears throat> you do shows daily and there is no stopping that train and so making sure that your uh entire wardrobe is up to snuff i mean it, it takes an yeah. army and, and that's awesome that you have somebody in your corner like that that can help you yeah. change so quickly so yeah
0: we've had our we've i mean it's a relationship I've, i have with my dresser like you know one night she wasn't paying attention and she wasn't there and I'm, I'm running off. Where are you at? And then, you know, and then I'm off crying after the show because she didn't, you know, it's um, there's so much that goes on backstage that the audience has no idea about, you know? So, yeah.
1: Are there any other encounters like that? Um, other things that people don't really appreciate what it takes to put together a big show like that?
0: Um, maybe like or- the sound, you know, that we have a lot of sound issues that you guys don't know about. Um, in the big, in the big theaters, we wear um, what's called in-ear monitors. And um, you have to dial in all the, the instruments, the musicians into your ears just right. And um, sometimes those settings are not necessarily saved. So, or the, the frequencies you'll get, you'll get interference with the frequencies and then you can't hear. And so little stuff like that, um, like say the audience watching, if you see somebody pull out their ear like this it's a bad sound night because they can't fucking hear. <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest thing that I've experienced lately is just um, sound issues, you know, cause when you get on a big level, there's just so much going on.
1: Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your time, of doing Legends of a Concert at the Tropicana, mm-hmm. like what has been the crowd response to that? Like in your shows and performances? And like what have been some of the most satisfying moments from interacting with the crowd or just talking to them after the performance?
0: I think the coolest thing I personally I love I love when we get um, members of the LGBTQ plus community out there. Um, they're they're when I can. Not like I can pick them out of a crowd, but, you know, like when I see someone dressed like Elton John, I know you're gay. OK, so um, it, it it makes my performance extra special and meaningful because I can direct the songs like Born This Way to these people that are so brave in, in their, their life journeys and stuff. And so um, that's why by the time I get to a million reasons within my set, it makes me feel so good when I can see people crying. You know, and and it happens. I, I I have people down these little cocktail tables, and they're they're crying and sobbing, or during shallow, same thing. And um, I like to take it home for people like that, or when I see people pulling their cameras up, you know, that means they whatever I'm doing, they want to take it home with them or share. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's pretty much the biggest thing is when I or when I have children in the audience, I like to direct um, some love to the children and, you know, make sure that you be yourself and, you know, if you're weird or silly or whatever, be that. And that's okay. Because that's how I got to where I am. You know,
1: that's another really important point about just not just you, but also, you know, Gaga as a whole, in terms of like the, the mission that she promotes of, you know, born this way and everything else, um, Mm -hmm. in her performances of like how much she's embraced the LGBTQ community, like, Mm It's awesome that you continue that and just continue her message, not just your show, but her message to in your show, which I think is yeah. awesome.
0: I think it's really important um, that it's not, you know, it, and it is very contradictory, right? The, I'm telling everyone, be yourself, be born this way. And here I am making a living being somebody else. Um, but I look at it as I'm an actor. Right. And I'm just playing this one role for a very long time. Um, but if, if you're not embodying that artist's like life messages and stuff, then 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 it's then it's empty. Right. Like it's it's just it really is just acting. But I think that it, people can sense the authenticity that uh, I connect with her on that personal level to share her message.
1: So in addition to um, Legends, you've also done some like private gigs occasionally. And obviously that's like way more like in your face and yeah. like less less distance between you and the audience. Like, yeah, even those smaller shows, like what has that experience been like for you in terms of interacting with people?
0: You know, it's funny. I just did like two nights ago. I did a um, private hotel suite party as Gaga. And it's, it's funny after doing Legends for so long and I jump into a hotel room gig, it's like. People are like, whoa! Like, I'm so used to being on this huge stage and screaming, "Get your hands up!" And the people are standing like, like four feet away, you know. And they're—it's a lot. And I I have to remind myself and remind them, guys. I'm used to being over at Legends and Concert Tropicana. I'm sorry, but also, get your fucking hands up. (laughs) So uh, that—that—that's what I experienced the other night. I'm like, oh wow, I'm a lot. I'm a lot, a lot. But uh, but it also it's it's fun because then they get like a Vegas show in their room, you know.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the intensity that you need to bring to the show, even if it's a smaller venue or like a more intimate venue, like if you're if you're not committed to it, like people are are not going to buy into that. Like and that's really a huge thing of impersonation is that you have to throw your whole self at it and making Mm -hmm. sure that people really, truly believe that you're if not impersonating like fully embodying this, this, you know, artist, So yeah, that's what totally yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so not to have a hard left turn, uh, but I want to bring it up because it's an important part of your, uh, about your, about your journey in your life. Sure. So obviously the pandemic sucked for everybody. Um, the pandemic sucked a little, a lot more for you and your husband actually. Um, yeah. But so it was a double whammy of there's no shows in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then also something happened. You were diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. Um, can you talk about your journey or what that was like around that time? Um, not sure. to get too personal, but just like, what was your experience like?
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. Like the world shut down and all my entertainer friends, including ourselves, is like, we lost everything. I mean, not like we lost our homes, but like we lost our jobs. We were told we were not essential, you know, and trying to, um, come to grips with that and be at home all the time. And then one day we're in our backyard and my husband just kind of grazes my, my boob. And he's like, what is that? And I'm like, no, it's nothing. And, and, you know, just kind of brush it off. And then we decide, you know, oh, maybe I should get this looked at, but you know, pandemic lockdown, what are we going to do? And um, so long story short, my, my OB decided to open up her office just for me, finds it, within a month I was in chemo. It was, it was, it already advanced to stage three breast cancer. Like, hello, I'm only, I'm only 30 at the time I was only 34 years old. How is this even possible? And it's because we don't have proper early detection for younger women. Young women are getting breast cancer left and right. And they're not being screened because we think of breast cancer as a older woman, um, disease. And it's not true. It's, it's, Yeah. So um, it really felt like the world was shitting on me uh, and my family. It just. uh, Yeah, it was rough. And then, you know, with that comes all the uh, what I call them, um, like like grief tourists, people like, Oh, her life's falling apart and she has cancer. Let's do interviews and all that. So simultaneously we were in time magazine, we were on CBS news documentaries and stuff, telling our story about, um, losing everything and cancer. And it was cool. Um, but it was hard and yeah. And no one really tells you about, um, I guess, uh, later on the, the PTSD that you kind of experience, um, going through cancer. And I think that I'm finally out of those woods being two years cancer-free now, but, um, yeah, I think, thank you. But I, other than like this, like day to day, I pretty much don't talk about cancer anymore, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, being, being a grief tourist, as you put it, I think is that that's something I definitely want to shy away from. It's more of like a, as you mentioned, you're very young when you're diagnosed and mm-hmm. we're somewhat close in age. And like, to me, a personal journey of somebody that's experienced something that nobody else has experienced or maybe they might experience in the future. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important story to tell. and. Yeah. I think as you, as you mentioned the world shitting on you, <laughs> I'm not here to focus on that.
0: God damn. Like, it was like, what else you got? Seriously. And then people, <laughs> people in my family dying left and right. It's like, let's, let's, I think can can we, we, can can we have we, a couple good years here now, please. Yeah, right. Thank you. Can
1: we, can we have a break? <laughs> yeah. And we're still have not, I don't even know if we've reached that yet. We're just kind of like trying to come back from what, what was there before. But yeah, I feel yeah. that. Um. Yeah. I mean, I feel, pre- uh, I
0: feel pretty solid about my 2022 year. Like I spent nine months in legends of concert. Um, my daughter's doing great. My marriage is doing great. I feel healthy. I feel like I'm finally out of the woods of the PTSD land, you know? Um, so I think I finally got it back. Um, <laughs> uh, but I just hope that you know, no one else gets shit on, you know, like everyone out there, take care of yourself, your, your, your body and your health. Um, And don't think that like, just because we're young, nothing can happen to us. You know, cancer is there and um, make sure that you're being screened properly.
1: Are there any other things that, I mean, from you experiencing that of the things that you didn't know about ahead of time that you think more people should be aware of? Like what are some of the things that, that you had to deal with that you kind of were surprised or shocked by in terms of like, this is part of the journey that people don't really talk about or understand is part of the, what you're subjected to.
0: Yeah. I mean, physical, physically wise, right. We, everyone knows chemo radiation, it's all garbage. It's, it sucks. Right. Um, they don't talk about, um, you know, how it affects your marriage um, and your relationship with your caretakers Um that that you you know personally I became a monster like I was mean to everyone around me like you think that oh oh frail little cancer bald person like you know they're thinking that you're going to be all kind no I was a monster to everyone around me um I wish I knew more about that just the mental health struggles around it um or more people should know about that and a lot of the unsolicited advice that comes from people um you know, there, there's two ways of thinking about approaching cancer treatment. There's the tried and true science way, or there's the, you know, touchy feely green holistic thing. And um, I had a lot of people come into my life, you know, you should do this. Papayas can kill your cancer if you eat a scorpion, blah, blah, blah. And um, because I, because I went the traditional tried and true science way, I lost a couple of friends because they, they basically said I was a trash human being for, for going this way. And it's like, that's my choice. You know, like you do, you I'll do me. Um, so yeah, people. So if, if you listeners, viewers, if, if you have somebody diagnosed with cancer um, that, you know, it's, it's not about you, it's about them and how you can support them and your, you know, ideas of how you can heal cancer. It's not, it's not your choice. It's that person's choice. So that's, that was a huge thing that I didn't expect to experience. Um, Thumbs me out.
1: I was just going to say, I mean, you really nailed it. Like paying attention to the person and supporting them for what they actually need, like, as opposed to just offering them unsolicited advice when it's at the time when you're the most stressed out that you possibly have been in your mm-hmm. entire life. Mm-hmm. um for various reasons as yeah. opposed to just like can you just sit here and listen to me or like just exist and try to distract me from my normal day-to-day as opposed to yeah. let's talk about the papayas and it's like no not right now
0: <laughs> yeah no no not at all or sending sending like like backhanded memes of like a i don't know it's it's stupid but you know i i if it weren't for my husband and my parents, um, as, as my caretakers and supporters, and I, I, I wouldn't have gotten through it. And, uh, they, they were absolutely all fantastic and none of them offered awful solicit unsolicited advice. So it was people <laughs> online, you know, it's always, you know, Instagram people. But, um, when we go back to the idea of the grief tourists, that's how I went big on TikTok.
1: <laughs> Let's Let's talk about that because that was the thing that actually like really surprised me is like, mm-hmm. Uh, you blew up on TikTok. Can you talk about your experience of, of blowing up on TikTok?
0: Yeah, because you know TikTok became this huge thing during the pandemic, and um, and I and I just remember one day ah, I'm gonna post my hair falling out. You know this uh, my hair it, it it just ached my scalp just it hurts so bad and no one tells you about that. You think oh their hair just falls out and that's you a your head. No, that is like the whole hair falling out experience is humongously tr- like traumatic. And um, so I remember trying to brush my hair and I took a video of it and I took, and the part of the video was like, just me. me oh, it hurts so bad. Posted on TikTok, And then I walk away from my phone and my phone for two days did not stop. It got like 5 million views in like two days or something like that. And that's how it started. Just people just following, following, following. I think in, in that week I got like 16,000 followers it was, you know, cause people, I don't know if they like to watch somebody hurting or it makes like, it's again, I, I don't know what it is, but you know what? I took that opportunity to capitalize off of them liking my shit. And I just, I'm like, I'm a TikToker now. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> So I just decided to, to utilize that, that small following and actually start writing content and start. And I figured out the algorithm with the help of a friend named Aaron Darling, who kind of cracked the code and shared kind of like a workshop. And I'm like, this is not that hard. If you want to dedicate yourself to, um, quality content creation, you will be rewarded. And that's, that's where I'm at as, um, you know, little 74,000 followers, um, but it's it's fun. It's become kind of a, a little side job. And every now it's funny because now I'll pepper in little cancer bits and they don't do well. People like the gaga stuff. I change my niche. <laughs> Good.
1: That's awesome. I mean, and that's another thing too to like really stress is like just because you had cancer doesn't mean that your entire personality is now cancer. It's, you know, yeah, you as a person surviving and getting past it. And yeah. what is your what is your life become after that? And that is the the goal and the vision of anybody that's a cancer survivor is like, what do you get to do after? Like, what are you thankful for? And so
0: reaching that that, changes a lot of things, something um, you know, there's a whole, there always has been a stigma with women, or, you know, women and aging and, Oh, women aren't allowed to age. And um, you know, so many people I know don't like sharing their age and stuff. And I tell them how lucky are you to have a birthday? And they, they just don't get it. Cause they haven't lived through cancer to be grateful for having another birthday. Like every birthday now is huge for me. Um, because I know what it was like to maybe not have another one. You know, I, I, I remember being so sick. I'm like, I'd rather go than live through this awful treatment, you know? So yeah, it changes your perspective on life.
1: Um, and then also, uh, Along with TikTok, in addition to your own personal account, you've also launched Legends. You've helped launch Legends TikTok as well. Was yeah. that an experience been like? Not only selling that to the people that you work for, but also your your coworkers as well.
0: Uh, that's that's been fun. The Divas, um, so with the Divas lineup, I was in. Um, it was Celine, Cher, Adele, and myself, all crammed into one dressing room. And as you can bet, there was some drama. Um, and I was there to film all of it. It was, and you know they they would tease me like oh what are we filming today what are we filming today and um but it was so fun because they were so often ready to just like do whatever i uh like put together for them and it and they got tiktok gobbled it up they loved it everything hit everything did well i got the account i think up to like 14000 followers and um but now that i'm not in the lineup i do find it hard to remember to run the account uh, because I'm not I'm not an active person on it, you know. Um, what? But it's funny you ask about that because today I'm going to the Legends office to be filming the Elvi, all the Elvis guys in the Legends show, and um, trying to create drama with those boys and film it and make it palatable for the TikTok audience.
1: <laughs> and now I know that what the plural Elvis is thanks to you. That Elvi, <laughs> amazing. Um, all right, Tierney, uh, it's been so much to talk to you and I have one last softball question for you, which is what is your favorite era of Gaga? What is your favorite song and what does it mean to you personally?
0: Oh, shit. One, one cannot just have one favorite Gaga song. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk,
1: let's talk about the one that kind of means the most to you now in the moment. Like what is the first one that comes to mind and talk to me about like, why does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Why is it important to you? And like, what are some of the things that you appreciate that you think are super special about the song or the era?
0: Okay, so I I know exactly what song and it's a deep dive. It's a deep cut into the Joanne album. And Lady Gaga's Joanne album will always be my favorite. And that's because I was in the hospital in labor giving birth to my daughter the day that album came out. But specifically one song on that album called Angel Down. It is... A song that Gaga wrote after the Pulse nightclub shooting, um, you know, why is everyone stand around uh, um, when these shootings are happening, like nothing's changing. And and it, the words, I mean, it's, oh, I got chills just thinking about the song and I love to perform it because it's so dark, but it's also so relevant to right now. I mean, even though this, this album came out six years ago, these shootings are still happening and in gay clubs i mean like my daughter just started i'm going on a huge tangent um my daughter just my daughter just started kindergarten and right like a week before she started kindergarten was the uvalde shooting and i'm like how am i supposed to send my daughter to school like she's no one's safe no one's safe my daughter like the one place my daughter should be safe is where she's going to school and that's not even safe now. So, Angel Down has cycled through my life so many times. During every time one of these things happens, I remember this song, and I go live on TikTok and I sing it um, live from my piano, playing it just to remind everyone. You know, this this is a humongous problem, and it's it's heartbreaking. So, yeah, I think that that's one of the most powerful songs she's put out that no one realizes. Uh, it's just one of those hidden gems on that album.
1: Yeah, I should say so this is our Thanksgiving episode, but uh we were filming this the week that the Club Q um shooting in Colorado Springs just happened, which makes this that song even more relevant unfortunately. And just like with every song that kind of ties into civil rights or any any ongoing issues, it's it's unfortunate that the past is prologue that the things that we hope to overcome or get past or be better for like are still unfortunately relevant. And so mm-hmm. I think you really put that really beautifully but Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's important to keep the conversation going and understand like that these songs can start conversations that hopefully will lead to change
0: yes i hope so and and that's why again i think that lady gaga is the greatest artist of our generation because she's not just a pop star she said pop star doesn't have pop music doesn't have to be lowbrow just because it's pop it can have substance it can it can change the world and I I feel like she has she was the beginning of the world changing a lot of views on equality so um, I can't wait to see where we are in 10 and 20 years from now hopefully with the aid of her and other artists that are inspired by her
1: absolutely Tierney Thank you so, so much for your time today. It was an absolute Yay. pleasure to talk to you. But before we take off, uh, is there anything that you like to plug or shout out? The floor is yours. Oh,
0: thank you. Um, so actually, I've decided to produce my own show. Uh, it's a one-night show. And this is coming out of left field for everyone, maybe even you two. Um, there's a big conspiracy out there that when Amy Winehouse died, she became Lady Gaga. And it's so funny. These women they resemble each other so much. And so I've decided to produce a show where I pay tribute to both Amy and Lady Gaga in the same show. I'm challenging the hell out of myself by trying to do two artists in one show, but I'm gonna do it. That show's gonna be on January 6th at The Space here in Las Vegas. Um, We will have the ticket link coming up and the show is called Lady Winehouse.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Thank you. And you've done dry runs of Amy Whitehouse before as well. Like what is, what has that experience been like for you?
0: That was a world starting to do Amy Winehouse was a complete whirlwind. I, I've been told for years that I resemble her and I never really did anything about it. And one day I was bored. I'm like, let me do a makeup transformation to become Amy Winehouse for a TikTok that night or the next morning, I wake up to a message on my phone, say from a, a an agent saying we need an Amy Winehouse sub for the 27 show at the Virgin hotel. Will you audition? i never even sang an Amy song. So um, fast forward two weeks and I'm on stage in Vegas subbing for the Amy Winehouse for that show. And it was so cool. And I fell in love with Amy through learning to do her. And um, yeah, so I want to keep it going. I I don't want to forget, all that work they put into that moment i want to keep her memory alive there are some incredible impersonators out there that do amy and i hope that i could just get somewhere near close to what they do
1: yeah that's so awesome And it's showing like you know like how talented you are as a person as a performer in general that you are versatile and that you have wow. more tricks in your bag so that's awesome Got
0: something up these sleeves
1: <laughs> besides your awesome tattoos um
0: yeah
1: is there anything else you like to plug your tiktok tiktok perhaps
0: well, you know, of course, you guys, I, all my branding, everything is Vegas Lady Gaga, whether it's vegasladygaga.com, TikTok, Instagram, Vegas Lady Gaga. I am the wish.com Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> the very expensive wish.com Lady Gaga.
1: Amazing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys. Tierney, thank you so much again. It's been an absolute thanks pleasure to talk to you. Mwah. Everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.